0: Before we get into the reading of God's word, I want to open by asking you a question. We'll let pit stop Alan do his business there and then we'll think about this. I want to ask you, I want to get you to think about three areas in your life, just three areas in your life where you want to see change or you're desiring God to move in those areas. It may be in your own life. It could even be in the lives of others where you have a desire that you want God to do something. I want you to think of three things. It could be in your work situation. You know, It could be in your spiritual life. Um, it could be in your relational life with others. I want you to think about three things. Uh, it could be your marriage, your job, whatever. Think about three things. Now, I want you to picture those three things and I want you to think about what you're doing in a spiritual sense towards those things. So the three things that you've thought about that you're desiring God to move, I want you now to think about what you're doing in relation to your own spiritual life before God to bring that to him or ask him to move in those areas. I want you think about that deeply. Three desires that you have spiritually, not, not, not wants, but deep spiritual needs where your heart aches for certain things and you want God to move in those areas. And you're crying upon his name, knowing that he's the God that will hear, and you're asking him to move specifically in that situation, in your life, or maybe in somebody else's life. What is it that you're doing towards that spiritually? And now I want you to just, if you're willing, to name some of those things that you're doing. Give me some things that you're doing in your life towards that. Anybody? Brian? To walk more in the Spirit and to pray more in the Spirit. Pray more, to walk in the Spirit more. What else? What else are you doing in your life? consistently, consistently put that time away Discipline discipline to put the Lord first and to put that time, Paul, to be, in the word more. to be in the Word of God more. Yeah, we need to worship in spirit and truth. And these are all important things in seeking the Lord and seeking his face and seeking him moving. And we read in the Psalm this morning that, Lord, I seek your face. And we do that and we want God to move in our lives. If we're born again believers, we want the God of all sovereignty, of all power, of all knowledge, of all wisdom to work in our lives, don't we? And we beseech him on that. And yes, we should get in the word and yes, we should desire to walk in the spirit and yes, we should pray more. But there's one other thing that I think is completely missing in the Christian's arsenal in this day and age. Let's read. From Ezra chapter number 8 this morning, verse 21. Ezra chapter number 8, verse 21. We'll just read verses 21 to 23 this morning. And the word of God says this, Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek him a right way for us, and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Here's what we should be thinking about, I believe, as believers. When we are entreating the Lord and we are engaging the Lord and we are looking to the Lord, we think first, we should think fast. But unfortunately, in today's age, it's not there. I mean, even in our own little body there, and the suggestions of what we would do to entreat the Lord, for him to move in our lives, nobody came up with Fasting. Was that what you were going to say, Denise? Well, Denise got there in the end. But, you know, the the things that we we come straight away to, and, and it's right, we should be in the Word and we should be praying, but this is a weapon of warfare that used in the right way, in the biblical way, is an essential attribute, I think, to the local church body and to the believer in our lives before the Lord. And and the biblical definition of fasting is, is, is a Christian's, a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And I give it that biblical definition because it is Christian. Because fasting for any other purpose has no spiritual reward. Fasting outside of a believer has no spiritual reward. It's just vain practice across the world. Because there is only one God. Jehovah is his name. So for the Christian, fasting is different to any other religion, any other uh, body of movement, or any other tradition that wants to fast. We know that across the world in Islam there are fasting days. But it's vain. It's folly. Because it's a false god. But for believers... When we fast we should fast with spiritual purposes and we can only fast with spiritual purposes as believers. No other person in the world can do that truly because God doesn't see that but for us he does and it's voluntary. It's not an enforced thing. It's not a regimented and ritualistic thing. Now we're going to see this morning that when Jesus walked on the earth That's what it had become within Judaism. It had become ritualistic legalism. And there's no place for that in the body of Christ. Now, there is place for rules and regulations. We function better with boundaries. But legalism is a different thing. It's a different thing. So, fasting as a biblical practice, I believe, is absolutely missing in the church today. And when we look at the Bible, we'll see fasting all the way through it. You'll see different types of fasting, uh, different methods of fasting, if you like. There's fasting from food, but still having water. There's uh, uh, partial fasting, a limitation of diet. There's absolute fasting, where it's, it's an abstinence from food and water from a, a period of time. Um, there's private fasting that's what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6 we're going to look at that a bit later on this morning there's congregational fasting you'll find that in the Old Testament in Joel you'll find it in the New Testament in Acts you'll find national fast you know we see this with Israel a lot where, where they nationally they fasted as they seek the Lord and and went to him and asked him to entreat for them of course, we have the fast that was commanded under the Levitical law on the Day of Atonement once a year. And of course, then at times there are occasional fasts as and when uh, the, the situation demands it. I think about Esther and how the Jewish people were under threat of being exterminated, Max, you know, wiped out, genocide, and they fasted and, and prayed to the Lord. That's occasional uh, fasting in there. So the Bible talks about the, these different types of fasting. So fasting is in the Bible. There's no doubt about it. So why is it not in the modern church psyche? Now I'm not saying that there are people that don't do this. But as a, as a, as a principle. Uh, an arching principle that forms. And for, uh, part of the function of believers and of the church. It's missing. It's missing. Why is fasting Missing. Now I know we struggle with prayer, and I know we struggle in, in reading the Word, but you'll go to most churches and you'll find a Bible study and a prayer meeting at some point during the week. But why is fasting, you know, in this modern society not popular? I'll tell you why. Because we live in a postmodern world where it is self-indulgent to the max, where we don't have to wait we don't have to go without if we want it we can get it now doesn't matter if we can afford it we don't have to pay for it now you know we don't have to wait for things to come out we can go on our computers we can log into our tv boxes and we can get it now we don't even have to wait for next week's episode of whatever series you're watching on television you know you remember the days we had to wait remember that you don't have to wait anymore do you because they give you it all at once and you can just binge one. It's a self-indulgent society. It's a society where we're programmed not to wait. It's a society where we're programmed not to sacrifice. It's a society where we're being programmed, especially in the Western world, to not go without and to expect and demand. So can I say to you this morning that that's maybe a reason why the practice of fasting is not popular within the modern church because few disciplines go so radically against the flesh than the practice of fasting, of going without. So maybe it's not popular because we don't like to go without. Fasting, I think, is absolutely against the mainstream culture, when you think of it as a concept. And do you know what? When I read about this, and as I've studied this and as I've looked about it, and I, I think about those two conflicting worldviews: the biblical worldview and the secular, modernist, postmodern worldview, where there's no such thing as absolute truth, and, and the community determines truth, and you have all this, and you know if you want it, you can get it, whatever it is. And you compare it with the concept of fasting, going without, and sacrificing. And they're so against each other that it really has brought me to a place where I absolutely believe we have to get back to this as a priority. Because it is so against the culture of today that we're being trained to just go along with and follow along. I mean, I honestly, we live in a a society now that's just full of fear. Something's wrong. If you can't see that as a believer, you are missing the picture. You're missing the picture. You know, this weather, weather stuff, it's going to be hot for a couple of days. whoop de doo The world's not going to end. I was looking at a thing yesterday. Last night it was. And it, you know, you should do this. You should go back and look to the weather reports in the 80s. When, you know, I appreciate we're going to have two days that are going to be extremely hot. But 30 degrees is not a thing that has never happened before in this country. You can go back and you can look and look at the weather reports where you've got 30 degrees all down the country. Take it from the 1980s. What's his name? Michael Fish. Is it Michael Fish? Yeah, what a clown he was. Anyway, uh, Michael Fish. But you go back and you look at the weather report and it just says 30 degrees with a wee, like, sunshine. Yay, Happy. You go and look at the weather report and go home and do this. Look on Sky News and you'll now see these heat mats with extreme red. Danger, danger, fear, fear, 30 degrees. We're all going to die. Panic, 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 panic. Nonsense. And the church has to fight back in this. They have to fight back. Not going out in the streets with placards and saying, down with, down with these false weather reports. But in terms of how we live our lives within the church, And one of the principles that I think we should get back to, yes, we should be in the Word, yes, we should be a praying people, but we should also be a fasting people. I have no doubt about that, church. No doubt about that. Now, Ezra didn't overlook fasting. And what have we said about him? We've said he's a good leader because he knows the way, he shows the way, and he goes the way. And when we get to Ezra here in chapter number 8, he's gathered the people together. If you remember, he's got all his ducks in order. He's got the priests. He's got everything he needs for this band of, uh, uh, of the remnant that are going to go back into Jerusalem and, and get the work going again and get involved there. And it was an ardu- arduous journey. We, we looked at that, how that it wasn't just simply a, a, a walk in the park to get from where they were in Babylon all the way down there to uh, Jerusalem, that it was fraught with danger. And Ezra gets them together, he gets to make sure as a good leader he has the right people behind him, that they're unified behind him to go forward. And then before he makes his move, before he starts to make his journey, Ezra gathers them together to fast and seek. The Lord. Verse 21 Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before God, go without, that we might just completely rely on Him, that we might use this fasting time when our stomachs are rumbling to be reminded how great God is and how weak we are and how little we have without Him. And to seek his fears, And to be reminded that we need him. To seek a right way, that's what Ezra says. For our little ones, that's our dependence, And for all our substance. Before Ezra embarks on this journey, he gathers them together and says, Assembly, body, let's fast and seek the Lord. Because we need him. We need him. Now, if you remember, the king's authority was upon Ezra, correct? He had a mandate from the king that really uh, gave him the authority to go under the king's protection and power to go and and make that journey. So Ezra had, at that time, the kind of highest earthly authority upon him. But yet, as a good, godly leader, he understood that he couldn't go simply in the strength of the secular world, simply in the strength of the heathen king. He had to go before his God and bring the people together and fast and seek the Lord's face for his protection and his power on the journey. And Ezra recognizes this. Look at verse 22. He says, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to to help us against the enemy in the way. And the king would have given these. He would have gladly provided that protection because it was his name that went with Ezra. But Ezra says, I was ashamed to go to the king and ask for protection. Why? Verse 22 saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. Ezra knew that the hand of God that visible yet invisible hand of God had led them all this way that God was moving and he knew that God was with them and he had to go to God first and foremost. It did not matter, I want you to get this church, how favorable the world conditions were to the body, the assembly, the remnants. Ezra understood as a godly leader... That they had to seek God. Why do I make note of that? Because we live in a world that wants the government to be our friend. And if the government's our friend and gives us all these benefits, then we can go and do the work of God. You've got that absolutely wrong. The work of God does not depend on the government of man. Let me repeat that. The work of God does not depend on the government of man. We answer first and foremost to God and God alone. He is sovereign. He is the protector. He is the all-powerful one. And we need to recognize that. No matter who gets into power here in this shambolic Tory race, I don't even want to get into that, but whoever gets in there, it doesn't matter. Would we like them to be favorable to us? Yes. Does it matter if they're favorable to us? No, because it doesn't change our mission, doesn't change our motive, and it doesn't change who our master is. And we have to remember that. And Ezra, the good and godly leader that he was, didn't go in the strength of the king. He knew he had that, but he wanted God's hand upon him. See, God's in control. God's on the throne. Amen? Amen. We don't doubt that, do we? No. We shouldn't do. And we look at Ezra here, this good and godly leader, and we say, Well done, Ezra. You know, the actions are commendable. You've led these people well. You've prayed, you've fasted, you've seeked the Lord. Praise be unto you, Ezra. Well done, old chap. What a leader you are. But if it's good enough for Ezra, why do we not do it? If Ezra thinks first and he thinks fast, why do we not do that? For us, think last, think fast. Oh, there's a special thing happening. Somebody's, you know, on death's door in hospital. Let's have a fasting day. But that comes after the prayer, comes after the the fellowship gathers around, but it's not first in our minds. And I think the biblical model is that it should be. It should be. Now, we're going to see that it's not a way to just get God to behave like a genie in a bottle. Oh, I've fasted, therefore I'm going to get what I want. That's not the attitude behind it, and we're going to see that this morning. But I do believe we have to get back to this mentality. I believe, absolutely. The more I see that in, in church and church life, the more I realize that we have to get back to basics. simple basics. It's good to have programs, it's good to have community fellowship. that's part of the local church. But these simple, fundamental, core attributes of the early church, in the word, in prayer. Fasting and and I think we need to be uh, really focusing on in the modern church uh, world. So I want to think about fasting this morning. Just two thoughts to share with you the, the, this morning about fasting. Here's the first thing I want to say. When we come to fasting, we should be fasting with direction. We should be fasting with direction. What do I, what I mean by that? I mean fasting is to be done with a purpose. It's to be done with a purpose. Without a purpose, fasting becomes just a work of the flesh. Fasting becomes a kind of self-centered thing. Fasting becomes, very quickly, a ritualistic thing. And it becomes a a legalistic thing. And it becomes a traditional thing. And that's not what fasting is meant to be. So, let's look at Scripture. Scripture. And we're going to see when, when people fasted, there was, there was direction, there was purpose when they fasted. And, and the first kind of purpose or direction that we'll, we'll see this morning is that biblical fasting was part of seeking God's direction and protection. We've seen that this morning. We start with Ezra. That's what he was doing, wasn't he? He was seeking God's hand of protection. Let's read verse 21 of Ezra 8 again. Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Hava, that we might affect ourselves before God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So Ezra is is calling the fast specifically for direction and protection. There's a purpose in it. There's a purpose in it. Secondly, biblical fasting was part of acknowledging sin before God. Uh, Turn to Ezra chapter 10, a couple of chapters on. Ezra 10, verse 6. Now we'll get to this later on in our studies in Ezra as we close out the book, but for now we just read verse 6. It says, Then Ezra rose up before, from before the house of God, went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elishab, and when he came thither, he ate no bread nor drank water for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away now we're going to get to this when we get to this but the point of matter is that the fasting that is going on by Ezra was part of acknowledging sin before God and of course this is in a a, a national scale but that's what Ezra's doing he's praying or fasting with purpose with direction that's important you turn to Nehemiah, chapter number 1, verse 4, we'll see that biblical fasting was part of intense prayer. Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4, says this, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Here, Nehemiah is an intense prayer before God, and part of that is fasting. Turn to Psalm 35, please. Psalm 35, verse 13. Here we find fasting is part of David humbling himself before the Lord. Psalm 35, verse 13. David writes this But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, I humbled my soul with fasting. So part of biblical fasting was. About humbling yourself before the Lord, and that's what David did. Turn to Luke chapter number two. Let's move into the New Testament. Luke chapter number two, verse 36. Here we find fasting, biblical fasting, was part of worshipping the Lord. Luke 2, verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phaniel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. This was part of our worship, part of our service before the Lord. Turn to Luke chapter number 4. Verse 2. Luke 4 verse 2. Here we see our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he goes into the temptation. To face the same temptation that was faced in the garden by Adam and Eve all those years ago. And we know that he goes into the desert, but... Luke 4 verse 2 says being 40 days tempted of the devil and in those days he did eat nothing and when they were ended he afterward hungered. So Jesus is there fasting. You know it's been said about this that part of this was so that he could be at his weakest humanly and there may be a case for that I, I, I don't know but what I see here when we think about fasting is that Fasting is used as preparation for great tests. If there's something coming in your life spiritually that you know is going to be a great test, then a time of fasting is what Jesus did. And of course he passed that test. Absolutely he did. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Fasting is part of seeking guidance from the Lord. Acts 13 verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Acts thirteen, verse two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So it's part of seeking guidance. Verse 3, let's read that in Acts 13. as part of sending out missionaries. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So there's fasting to seek the Lord. When the Lord gives his answer, these missionaries are to be sent out. What do they do? They fasted and prayed before sending them away. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 27. Biblical fasting was part of the regular life of spiritual ministry. It was just part of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Here Paul is laying out his woes and his troubles and his trials. But notice, he says, and fasting's often. This was part of his life. So when you look biblically, you will see fasting right throughout Scripture. And there are more, I'm sure, that you could pull out that we don't have the time to look at, but you'll find it in there. And when you look through history, you'll find that God has has poured out his blessing after times of fasting by the people of God. There's no doubt about that. But we have to be careful because the danger is that we turn fasting from its biblical principle into a principle that suits us and it becomes something that it was never meant to be. It becomes mechanical. It becomes uh, um, lacking of substance. That it's the outward and not about the inward. That it's not an outpouring of our heart's anguish before God. That it's just something that we do to try and get God to do something. And it should never ever be that. It should be part of our anguish to seek God. To see his fear, To see his hand move. And I absolutely believe God will always bless a rightly motivated uh, fasting of his children. I also believe you may not get what you've asked for, but I do believe what you do get will be what you absolutely need. God blesses his people when they get back to basics and call upon him. You say, well, God didn't answer it in the way I expected. Be thankful for that because if God had answered in the way you expected it wouldn't have been the right thing it would have been the wrong thing. You know if we knew what God knew we would always agree with what he gives us if we knew what he does but we don't and we can't and we shouldn't but we've got to accept the blessing. So absolutely I believe fasting when it's done with direction with purpose with the right attitude before the act ever takes place, that it is an essential tool and, and, and weapon in the Christian's arsenal, in the church's uh, arsenal, as we seek the Lord and we seek his face for all these different things, no matter what situation we're facing, I think fasting can play a part in that. So we should fast because, uh, with direction, but secondly and lastly, I want to say to you, we should fast because of direction. So we should fast with direction, but ultimately we should fast because of direction. Now, the abuse of fasting, which has probably gone a long way, I think, to leading us to why it's not a common practice, because it has been abused. But remember, when Jesus came and he walked the earth, that's what he found. He found the practice of fasting being abused. That's why he speaks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go there. Matthew chapter number 6, please. Matthew chapter number six, verse sixteen. Here Jesus is teaching on fasting, and he's teaching to fast with a right heart. Matthew sixteen verse sixteen says this: "Moreover, when ye fast, now that's important. When when ye fast, be not as hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces." that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily or truly I say unto you, they have their reward. But they, or you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that they appear not unto men to fast, but unto my Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. So notice when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching fasting from a correct biblical principle. He's teaching fasting from the heart. But he doesn't say don't fast. He says when you fast, do it this way. When you fast, examine your heart that you're doing it because you want God to see it and not man. Let's turn to Mark chapter number 2 and Jesus deals with a question about fasting here. Mark chapter number 2. So here Jesus is, is, is dealing with this question. Verse number 18 of Mark 2. It says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? So here we find, and this is, you know, I often uh, try and take apart when you read through the gospel narratives, it's amazing, amazing when you get into politics how people that have mostly nothing in common will unite over the smallest thing at times if it serves their goals and their purposes. And we see that with the religious establishment in Jesus' day with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and they all get together, even though most of the time they're at loggerheads, united against Christ. But here we we find some strange bedfellows being lumped together because we have the Pharisees and the disciples of John uh, who fast. And of course, you know, we know that these were opposed. I mean, John the Baptist himself said this in Matthew 3, 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. So John the Baptist had no time for these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. But here come the disciples of John and of the Pharisees. They come together and they come to question Jesus and they say, why are your disciples not fasting? Because we fast. You see, these groups are at odds about most things, but they're together in fasting and the principle of it. And the tradition was simply that you know fasting was part of spiritual life. It was part of religious life. It was commonly practiced at the time and we know that from just looking at biblical studies. But the problem was that it became something that it shouldn't have been. It became an outward act. It was all about people seeing and going look at him. How holy is he? How many times he fasts? It became like this kind of monastic kind of uh, lifestyle thing where it was you know look at me I'm dying to the flesh all the time how holy am I turn to Luke 18 this should be familiar with to you Luke 18 verse 10 to 12 Luke 18 verse 10 says two men went up to the temple to pray the one a Pharisee the other a publican the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God I think that I am not as other men are You you read that and you go what a clown what a hypocrite I tell you what I don't know how many times I've thought that I'm sure you've thought it too when you've looked at the way other people behave and you go I think I'm not one of them Lord I tell you what I'm the worst sinner that I know. I know my heart. I know my heart. Paul says, such were some of you. But we're saved by grace. But here, this Pharisee stands up, puffed up, thinking he's reached some holy hill, thinking he's something special. And there are believers that walk amongst us today that are so like this. But we're all under grace sinners saved by grace. And the more I get to know my Lord and my Saviour, the more I see about myself, the more I see his glory, the more I see my sin. And all I say is, thank you, Lord, for saving me. But here this puffed up, self-righteous Pharisee says, I fast, verse 12, twice in the week and give tithes of all that I possess. I'm a holy man, I do the ritual, I do the tradition, I go do all these things and everybody can see me, everybody knows me, I'm a holy man. And we know that Jesus deals with that and is, is corrects that. But this is the common practice, this is the tradition. And so what happens in a society where it's normal for people to fast because if you're a fasting person, it shows you're a holy person and you want the world to see that. So again, it's warped thinking. And, and the disciples of John, the disciples of the Pharisees, they come along and they say to Jesus, why are your disciples not fasting? Why are they not doing the traditional thing? Why are they not showing how holy they are? How does Jesus respond? First 19, Mark 2. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Here Jesus goes to his his illustration that he uses a lot of the Jewish wedding. He says, with the bridegrooms there, why should they fast? Verse 20, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and they shall fast in those days. So here Jesus says, the reason my disciples aren't fasting is because I'm here with them. But when I leave them, they will be fasting again. So what I want to say from this is that Jesus' direction of fasting is that when he was there, visibly present amongst his people, that they didn't need to fast because the bridegroom was there. But when the bridegroom went away, then the time of fasting would be required. It wasn't then, but it would be. And you say, well, we have Jesus with us. Yes, we do. But his visible presence with us is not yet, but will be. The bridegroom is coming back again, but he's not. The marriage hasn't taken place. And as people today, we're to be a fasting people. And we're to be fasting like Jesus lays down from the heart, devotionally, lovingly, sacrificially because we've been given direction too fast by the Lord himself. So we're to fast with direction. There has to be a purpose in it. Let me ask you what's your purpose? What do you want to see God do in your lives? I asked that to start. Where's fasting in that? Where is it? If it's not there I believe it absolutely should be there. But there has to be a purpose in it. We're to fast with direction and we're to fast because of direction. It's biblical. It's powerful. It's needed as we seek the Lord. Fasting is, is, is a matter of exchanging one form of hunger for another. Physical hunger for spiritual hunger. My question this morning is, do you have a spiritual hunger to see God in your life? Do you have it or is it missing? If it's missing, then maybe I suggest that you get to fasting before the Lord and and seeking his face and asking him to move because blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Fasting is for today. Fasting is for us. Fasting is for you. So those three things this morning that I asked you to think about, let me leave you with a thought. Think first. Think fast. Let's be a praying people. Let's be a worshipful people. Let's be a fellowship in people. Let's be people of the book. But also church, let's be a fast in people and seek the Lord that he would move in our lives, in the church's life, in this land's life. Once again, let's pray.